Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Twilight, a literary deep dive in the blood-sucking skin sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader, join us as we try to answer the question, does, does it, it suck? today yeah because um, it's bright and early in the it's morning bright and early it's fucking too early <laughs> uh for someone who works nights but you know this is the time we had to record so we're just gonna get real we're intimate gonna with really you do it. we're just gonna get right in your ears you know press those headphones real deep in your canals there and then just hear me talk to you like this nah just kidding fuck that <laughs> but it is early and um i'm i'm still waking up me too but you know like imagine dragons i'm waking up <laughs> we're waking up but we're gonna get through it uh, I did want to talk about something that's completely unrelated to any of this, ah. but it's been bothering me. Something I've been thinking about. You know, people people like always like to say like today's music is getting worse. Yeah, it's just bad. Right. There's dumb music. Yeah, people uh, say that all the time. I've had the, a chorus of a song that I learned about in um, my American music class I took in community college. Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> paying for that waste of time. Just kidding. It was a fun class. The professor did uh, quit halfway through, so that oh, was interesting. That's... But, you know, for anyone who thinks that music is getting worse today, I just want to point out this Lewis Jordan song called Choo Choo Chaboogie. Oh, that's C H apostrophe boogie. Here's how this chorus goes Choo 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 Chaboogie. Choo 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 Chaboogie. <laughs> Hold on. Woo 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 Chaboogie. They didn't even change it. They still went woo-woo chaboogie. They rhymed chaboogie with chaboogie. chaboogie twice. That is better than Gucci Gang. Or that is worse than Gucci Gang. <laughs> no, no, everyone come at me. But that song's been stuck in my head. So, you know, thank God you're not me out there. Yeah. But anyways, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm Spencer. And I'm Jess. And this is Twilight, where we talk about Twilight. So let's just get right into it. We're going to go over this week's chapters three, four, and five. But starting with... Chapter five. We're going to backwards. No, we're just not. kidding. We're going to start with chapter three. Big day and Big what day. a day it is. Yes. Bella wakes up from her. Oh, <laughs> I was like that must be a typo, but I did mean to write genocidal. Yes. Bella wakes up from her genocidal baby vampire nightmare. Great, great. Uh, like shock rock band name. Oh album hell name. yeah. Genocidal baby vampire nightmare <laughs> to something even more terrifying. Her wedding day. Oh, no. Oh, no. I hope it doesn't rain. <laughs> it was too early to begin prepping for her big day, so Bella anxiously, anxiously goes about cleaning her room and making Daddy Swan pancakes. I mean, Daddy Swan should be making breakfast for Bella on this day, if anything, but he had managed to set, set like the batter on fire. Right. So no, it's for Jesus the best. Christ, please just, don't. Yeah, it's just better for everyone if Bella still cooks. Finally, Alice arrives to whisk Bella off to begin her long hair and makeup prep. 
Bella still doesn't know where Edward has taken her for a honeymoon, and Alice will only reveal that it does involve flying. But only, but she only tells Bella this so that she can, so that she can brag about all the new clothes that she's bought her for her honeymoon. Right. And I I'm mean, sh- I would be excited about that, but Bella, that's her worst nightmare. It truly is. Which, considering the nightmare she does have, it really shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, this is also starting to make me think that Twilight's just like a, a big analogy for marrying into a rich family. Like, yeah, whisked off like, onto the like best holidays. Way to do it is to not care at all, to actually hate it. Yeah, that's probably the best way. It's it would be it's bad if you try, start to enjoy it too much. Which, fuck that! I would enjoy the hell out yeah, of that. Yeah, I would, it would. I God, I wish you were rich, babe. God, same. We'd be married by now. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, they arrive at the Cullen home to find it immaculately decorated. Even the smell of the house, a perfect blend of various blooming summer flowers, was stunningly perfect. I love her descriptions of the flowers. It was great. Really just being able to smell them. I'm like, damn, I wish I had a nose like that. I know. Around lunchtime, Rosalie wanders into Alice's oversized bathroom to announce the Bachelor Boys had returned. She then. I know. Potty Boys. Potty Boys. Uh, she then offers to help with Bella's hair, an especially kind gesture, knowing Rose's feelings about the choice that Bella was making. Renee arrives a few hours later and gives Bella a box containing two heavy silver combs studded with sapphire gems. Listen, Mom, if you don't give me that, I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. You, you hear that, Ma? We I'm, don't want it. I'm just kidding, but wow, that's so sweet. Makes me want to cry. Um... The combs had belonged to Bella's grandma, and now she had something old and something blue. Alice provided something borrowed, giving Bella a slim white garter that she insisted Bella give her back after the wedding. Just the whole garter uh, ceremony in in general, I I find uncomfortable. Same. I'm very glad uh, we recently went to a wedding of one of my old friends, and that was not a part of the ceremony. Thank right. God. I always hated it. I it's, know. It's well, it's weird... kind of like, oh, I'm taking her chastity. Yeah. It's like a remnant of like that thing. I forget what it's called, but where they used to like follow in like medieval times. They would like follow oh, the follow bride and groom to the, to bread, the bedroom. Bed yeah. And, like, watch him <laughs> watch him consummate the marriage. It does give those vibes. And I, yeah. I'm just like, I think, we're, I think we can get rid of that. I'm all, yeah. I'm all for sex positivity, but I don't want to have my entire family watch me feel up your bare thigh i mean all right (laughs) if you're rich i'd do it (laughs) from downstairs bella can hear the soft notes of bachelabas no i think it's pachabells ah whatever pachabells canon from downstairs bella can hear the soft notes of pachabells canon canon i know (laughs) from downstairs bella can hear the soft notes of pachabells canon being played The full reality of the day was now finally setting in, and Bella, of course, begins to hyperventilate. I mean, that's 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 just reasonable, yeah. Yeah. Alice takes Bella's face into her hands and reminds her of why she was there. Edward. Edward. Bella wills herself to leave the bathroom and meets up with Daddy Swan at the top of the staircase. Oh, this is such a sweet part. I know. The music soars into a crescendo, signaling Bella's time to go. With her hand tightly locked around his arm, Bella and Daddy Swan slowly descend down the steps. Uh, I think it's yeah, oh, yeah. important so, to know. Uh, something I, th- I thought of is that Daddy Swan still thinks Bella like fell down a flight of stairs in the first in Twilight, the first book. Right. So when she's like, "Please don't let me fall," he's like, "Yeah, no, you almost died on some stairs." You're probably <laughs> thinking this is like very traumatic. For yeah, her. I know. <laughs> he's like, "Who planned this?" 
<laughs> Once safely on, on flat ground, Bella can finally take in the true grandeur of her wedding for the first time. Past the hanging garlands of white blossoms and satin dra draped chairs, she finds him, and everything else falls away. Edward's face fills and overwhelms her vision until it becomes everything she sees. You know, I do want to say the movie rendition of this wedding, like how they did it, I was so fucking pissed when I first saw mm. it because I was like, they literally took all of the elements I thought that I wanted in my dream wedding <laughs> and they fucking turned it into a movie and now I can't do it because it's yep. going to be a fucking Twilight wedding if yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't wait for you to see that because I was like, oh, no. you and I like to appreciate weddings right yeah like nice venue choices flower choices things like that yeah. oh my god yeah shout out to my buddy roland's uh wedding uh open bar love it uh closed at 9 30 i mean the party's gotta end at some point though it ended like almost three hours after that that's the thing that's true it did not wrap up at that time because that's, that's why everyone's very surprised because it was ongoing and people were just walking up to the bar because oh, things were still yeah. happening people were making speeches still oh, and like <laughs> the bar's closed we're like i gotta listen to these speeches you want to make me do it sober you know it'd be like that sometimes it, it do be like we that. don't all have alice to flawlessly plan a wedding <laughs> His eyes were a buttery burning gold, and his perfect face was severe in the depths of his emotion. As their eyes met, his stone face broke into an exuberant smile that made his chiseled features even more striking. Their vows were simple. The same traditional words spoken by countless couples, though none quite like them. However, they did make one small alteration, asking Mr. Weber to trade the line till death do his part, to the slightly less ironic, as long as we both shall live. I think it's a lateral change. I, I agree. Um, the minister said his part. The couple made their vows and sealed them with a kiss. And just like that, Bella and Edward were now husband, husband and, and wife. wife. Oh, my God. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> uh, chapter four, yester. No, Possibly gesture. gesture. Chapter four, gesture. The wedding flowed into the reception, perfectly timed to start with the setting of the sun. Love it. Great job. The cool August air matched the calm but jubilant atmosphere of the evening. Among the many well-wishers, Bella was most happy to see Billy at ease and enjoying himself an event that he once tried so hard to keep from happening. <laughs> I mean, this is like the culmination of his failure. If like This it's is exactly true. what he worked so hard to prevent. But I know. He seems chill about it. Yeah. I wonder why. Maybe we'll find out. After her human friends came and, you know, get out of here, who cares anymore, her new in-laws, the sexy Denali clan, <laughs> came up to greet them. Tanya, unsurprisingly, was the first to greet them, immediately reaching out to embrace Edward. But ever the gentleman, Edward deftly maneuvers himself out of the embrace and introduces his wife to the rest of the clan. Unfortunately, Tanya was just about as beautiful as Bella feared, but despite the lingering tension, Tanya diplomatically welcomed Bella into their extended family. Sweet. Yeah, it's kind of a non-event. Tanya's yeah. like, just play. I mean, it's, it's they needed to get that over with. Now they yeah. know each other. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe they could, uh, you know, I'll hang out sometime. Hello. Alice made sure to include all the standard wedding traditions, them shoving cake into each other's faces with Edward bravely choking down his piece. 
And then Bella tossed her bouquet, which landed into Angela's surprised hands. Ooh, Hello, watch out, Ben. ben. Watch out. They even kept the strangest of wedding traditions as Edward carefully removed Bella's garter with his teeth, I should say, um, mm. before slinging it straight into Mike Newton's face. Greatest moment of his life. I know. He kept that fucking garter. Alice never saw it again. I love it because Edward winks at Bella and uh-huh. then fucking launches it straight into his face. Great moment. Love it. And when the music started, Edward led them through the traditional first dance. Once Bella had finished dancing with most of the wedding guests, she was thankfully back in Edward's arms. But as they held each other, Edward suddenly stiffened. Hello. Letting out a surprised, oh, mm. it seemed that Bella had a surprise wedding gift. Edward sneaks her away from the party into a protective darkness of the nearby woods. From the forest came a familiar husky. Oh, cannot go in. Jacob! Bella yells as she runs toward the sound of his voice. Jacob's strong hands catch her and pull her into his abnormally warm chest. Once she was able to compose herself, Bella straightens up, and the two dance slowly to the rhythm of their still-working heartbeats. Mm. Jacob admits that he was glad he came, though it wasn't really a conscious choice. As the wedding day approached, some unknown force pulled him back to Forks. He then cautiously asks if her transformation was happening that night. Bella replies that, well, no, she wanted to enjoy her honeymoon as a human first. By honeymoon, we, of course, mean Having penis. sex. Yep. Because that's how the world works. It's true. Jacob was surprised by the news. How would they enjoy their honeymoon while Bella was still human? Uh-oh, here we go. Then, when Bella's intentions finally dawned on him, his face changed. His giant hands roughly grip Bella's arms as he demands that she not go through with her plan. His body shook so violently, Bella could feel the vibrations deep in her bones. In her bones! Edward sharply orders Jacob to let her go, and a pair of deep growls respond from the dark woods behind them. Seth Clearwater soon arrived, doing his best to keep Jacob calm. His hands drop to his sides, and a moment later, Bella is a half a dozen feet away, with Edward crouching protectively in front of her. Two enormous wolves move in between them as Seth desperately fights to hold Jacob back. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! Jacob threatens in a low, rageful whisper. The larger the two wolves join Seth, pushing his head into Jacob's chest. The two manage to drag Jake back into the woods, kicking and screaming, with the smaller wolf falling close behind. Bella breaks into sobs, blaming herself once again for ruining her and Jake's friendship, even though this is clearly Jake being a dick. This is literally just repeating what happened before. We've done this already. Have a character art, Jacob. Jesus. Edward comforts her and says, and Edward comforts her, and once she is calm enough, the two return to their party. Luckily, no one seemed to have noticed their absence, and Bella silently promises herself to not let anything else dampen their night. And just in time, Emmett arrives to demand a dance of Bella, gratefully unaffected by the serious atmosphere around him. Gotta love him. He just does not care. He's just chill. <laughs> Bella managed to He lose. reminds me of my friend Yosha. Sorry to cut you off, babe. My friend Yosha you met. Oh, yeah. I've, I, I've always described in very like vague, cryptic terms because he's, he's such a character. I don't know how to describe him. Uh-huh. But literally, he came up to me at the... He's a big fan of the podcast. Um I've been told he falls asleep to our voices, which makes me uncomfortable, but I love it. <laughs> but he comes up to me, like, you know, a few minutes into the wedding. I've said hi, you know, reconnected. He's like, hey, I have something for you. And he just runs off. And I was like, this 
could be like anything from like a framed picture of us that he like handcrafted or like a <laughs> or like a sex toy. Like I had no idea what was gonna he was gonna return with. And he comes back with something I did not expect, which was just cash you for know, the podcast. Yeah. Which I love. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Thanks, that. man. But I was just like, I don't know what this dude's gonna come back with. You need you need people like that in your life. Oh yeah. You need a wild card in there. Bella had managed to lose herself in the party and was even a bit annoyed when Alice announced it was time for them to leave for their honeymoon. I don't know why she'd have them leave in the middle of the party. It seems odd, but whatever. I'm not planning it. Unaffected by both Edward and Bella's protests, Alice drags the newlyweds away from the party. Bella changes into her going away dress and gives a tearful goodbye to her parents, though they don't know how final the words actually are. Edward and Bella walk to the car through a storm of rice and heartfelt cheers. As they pull away, Bella's final image of the crowd is focused on her parents. Renee with one arm wrapped around Phil and her free hand holding Charlie's. In the distance, Bella can just make out the same sound of a heartbroken howl. Oh, how woo. <laughs> I'm sad. Did you say how woo? How woo, I'm sad. That's a heartbroken howl. Chapter 5, Isil Esma. I think it's Isle Esme. Ah, good. Isle Esme. Houston, Bella quizzically asks as she looks up at the airport terminal. Hello. We've all said that. Like, oh, Houston? Mm, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Shout out to H-Town. Know yeah. you listening. Uh <laughs> Edward assures her that it's just one stop on their trip, and boy, he was not lying. From Houston, they flew all the way to Rio de Janeiro, where they can take a cab. Where they then take a cab through the city streets, ending up at a small shipping dock. Not unlike our old friend Bree Tanner with mm. her flame. Hmm. Edward calmly and competently loads a small boat and takes them out into the open ocean. Hours later, they finally arrive at their honeymoon destination, a small, idyllic island nestled in the middle of the sea, Isle Esme. As they pull up to the small wooden dock, Edward explains that the island was a gift from Carlisle, and Esme agreed to let them use it for their honeymoon. Edward scoops up Bella along with their luggage and carries her through the threshold of the island's only building, a small but luxurious oceanfront home. The house shared the same pale-on-pale color scheme as the Cullen home, and its far wall consisted entirely of glass panes looking out into the ocean. But Bella's focus was on one specific piece of furniture, a large white bed which sat in the center of the room. Edward suggests they go out for a midnight swim, assuring her that the water would be plenty warm. Bella nervously agrees, and Edward leaves her alone to have a few human moments to get ready. Weird that they would have a, a large bed be like the centerpiece of the room since vampires don't. Oh my god. Bella searches through her luggage for a swimsuit and finds that amongst the clothes Alice had bought her were several sets of very expensive, very French-looking lingerie. Yikes. Ugh. That's just a lot of pressure. <laughs> I know. Just to, to not fuck him up. <laughs> Bella silently promises to make Alice pay for this one day and goes to look out the house's large French windows. Everything French here. I know. She can't make out she can't make out Edward's figure in the dark light, but does spot something moving by a nearby palm tree. A rush of heat rushes across her skin as she realizes it's Edward's clothes draped across it, flowing gently in the breeze. Bella takes a shower and hopes that it'll help her calm down. 
And then after further procrastinating by shaving her legs and brushing her teeth, she finally marches out of the house with only a small towel held under her arms. Everything outside was a pale hue, drained of its color by the solemn moonlight. She walks across the fine, powdery sand of the ocean's edge. Then, out across the low ripples, she spots him. Ah, oh, there she is. Out in the water. That's what she says when she spots him. No, she doesn't. I read the, 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 the complete guide to Twilight. <laughs> Edward stood waist-deep in the water facing away from her. He was motionless, his hands resting palms down against the water. Yeah, weird pose, but do your thing, Eddie. Eh. The fire that flashed across her was now a smoldering, deep and slow. Without hesitation, Bella slipped off her towel and walked into the warm water. If Edward heard her coming, he didn't show it until she was standing beside him, both looking up at the same dull white moon. He took her hand in his, the warmth of the water equalizing the cool of his hand as he tried to give Bella one more chance to change her mind. Don't be afraid, Bella interrupts. We belong together. The truth of her words were suddenly overwhelming as Edward gently pulled them into deep waters. Pulled her into deeper waters. Do you Listen, get it? I'm just going to say, everybody, um, don't have sex in the ocean. Huh. I say do it. I mean, it's What's not the worst really that good happen? for your vagina. I know. I'm not worried about that. Definitely don't in like a river or a lake. Sure for you get sure, that don't do that. Yeah. Or ni- Niceria flowery. Fowlery. Gerardia? Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately, what happens next is left to our imagination as we next join the newlyweds the following morning. But if you would like some more insight on what may have gone on, I recommend checking out the best-selling novel Fifty Shades of Grey and its equally scandalous and equally poorly written sequels. But back to Twilight, Bella wakes up to the mid-morning sun burning brightly on her bare skin. She kept her eyes shut as any new sensation could only dampen the perfect bliss she currently felt. But her perfect sphere of happiness is broken by the sudden change in the surrounding mood. Who could it be? She opens her eyes to see Edward watching her, his face rigid and grave. Bella asks what was bothering him, not understanding how he could be feeling anything but pure bliss after the magical night they shared. Edward tells her to look at herself, and Bella, for the first time, notices the many large bruises scattered across her arm, hot. Mm. And in her tangled hair, she finds soft white feathers, remnant of a pillow Edward had torn apart in order to control his urges. I mean, we've all been there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I nickel every pillow I've torn up with my teeth. (laughs) Uh. Bella promises that she never felt a moment of pain. Last night consisted of nothing but pure joy for her. But Edward can't be consoled. His worst fears about their decision had come true. He was exactly the monster he thought he was. Edward continues to melodramatically curse himself for the pain he's inflicted until Bella can no longer stand it. Or, or the reader. I mean, yeah, I'm very annoyed. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> she knew what she was signing up for. Yeah. She's clearly okay with it. Anyway, sorry. Switching from consoling to controlling, Bella demands that he quit his shit right that second. She wasn't going to let him ruin her perfect night just because it didn't go the way that he wanted it to. Seriously. Selfish. Edward quickly assures her that despite the guilt he felt now, it was the best night of his life, too. Too little too late. Really, Edward? Because you're fucking ruining it. Yeah, you're ruining the vibe, bro. Also, I I was really proud of the line switching from consoling to controlling. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Just needed you to tell me. Sure. Bella's, <laughs> Bella's stomach rumbles and Edward gets up to make her some breakfast. 
Bella then goes to inspect herself in the mirror and can see why Edward had been so upset. The smattering of bruises extended to the length of her body, along with a swollen lip, hot, and a faint shadow under her cheekbone. Less hot, little scary. Uh, as bad as it was, Bella had definitely seen worse. Very true. True. <laughs> her only worry was covering up the bruises on the more visible parts of her body. Once she was changed and mostly feather-free, Bella joins Edward in the kitchen. He hands her an omelette, expertly cooked despite not needing to eat himself. Bella then leans over to kiss him, but she can feel his body flinch against hers. Mm. Bella asks what's wrong, and Edward tells her that he will not be touching her again. Not until she's turned. Bitches. Uh, doubt. Um, but if you're interested in a story featuring characters less squeamish about light bruising, I recommend checking out Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> and it's equally yeah. scandalous and equally poorly written sequels. All right, y'all. Well, now it. that we have gone through and done the little recap on the chapters, let's go on and discuss our personal proclivities. All right. We're going to start with our favorite moment. And mine's kind of a combo. It's Bella and Daddy Swan's father-daughter dance, but also the, them at the top of the stairs. Those just two moments for them. Yeah. I forget sweet. what he says at the top of my head. I meant to write it down. He's like, uh, it's like, uh, you're up to bat. Or oh, something yeah. like he says, like a sports thing mm-hmm. to Bella when she's at the top of the stairs, and it's just it's a sweet little moment. It's I know his way of connecting, and I love that. Part. I I it, I feel like it's a great insight into how he's trying to approach it, and and also their father daughter dance where they kind of Bella, they kind of connect in their lack of being able to easily show emotion right in, in that way, but it's but they understand each moment. other, and it's sweet. I love it. Um, I can't wait for my father daughter dance. You don't uh, my get wedding. that. Uh, says you. It's my wedding. <laughs> uh, but uh, your your favorite moment? Um, my actual favorite moment was the kiss in the wedding, uh, j- yeah. just because it made everybody else uncomfortable. Apparently, that there were like coughs and titters from the audience before <laughs> like Edward had to stop the kiss. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, because like you, cl- you can imagine they're just starting to make out. I know. And it just got yeah, weird for everyone. Like, oh, okay, hello. <laughs> We're like, at a wedding. Um, Guys, uh, the honeymoon's afterwards. Co- cocktail hour? <laughs> cocktail hour? Uh, <laughs> uh, also, I wanted to say, honorable mention is the scene where Pella's just yelling at Edward to stop being such a baby and have sex with her already. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get know? O- get over the bruises, Edward. <laughs> but our favorite line, uh, mine is... Our vows were simple, traditional words that have been spoken a million times, though never by a couple quite like us. That literally completely changed my view on vows. Yeah. Like, before this, I would have been like, yeah, you should write your own vows. I think that's interesting. It's unique. It's special to you. But also, this, I don't know if I would, uh, where I would finally land on it. I still have to think about it. But this really completely sold me on uh, traditional, traditional vows. vows because there's a beauty to speaking the same words almost like a ritual uh that yeah. the same couples have spoken for generations but each time it's said it it means something different to each person in yeah. subtle ways and no one says it exactly the same but it is like this like incantation kind of ritual throughout time and i just love that i thought I found that very beautiful and i never saw it that way i agree i absolutely love that my favorite quote is um How did people do this? Swallow all their fears and trust someone else so implicitly with every imperfection and fear they had. I just, I really like it. I I love that line too. It's like, if you put enough importance into it, I guess, yeah, losing your virginity is a very nerve wracking experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't really need to be, but But, society's pressure makes it seem like it's something 
but this is a lot more important. for them for sure for yeah. sure for sure and i think um i remember that fear as well and mm-hmm. i think it's very poignant yeah and i think it's totally valid and uh yeah i yeah. like it too i like how it was phrased yeah uh all right well those are those are our personal proclivities. And, and now that we've established our faves, let's take a, a leisurely walk down our local manhole and make sure you bring you guys this lantern as we explore the lore. the lore. So, Spencer, what did you learn in uh, these three chapters? Yeah, we learned quite a bit, surprisingly, yeah. uh, for chapters all about a wedding, basically. But uh, the wedding is themed, oh, it is themed about Edward's turn-of-the-century tastes. Uh, but Alice tells Renee and the other humans, I, I would assume, that the wedding was themed around Bella's ring, which is unfortunate. Eh. But, you know, I didn't have to go to it. <laughs> so Rose is uh, also the second best musician after Edward and the family. Which I, I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Because if you think about it, um, she probably learned how to play piano while she was human. Yeah. Versus everybody else, like their backgrounds, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like that's very likely. But she was like higher social class girl. Yeah, definitely. She probably had piano Back lessons. in that time, she definitely had piano lessons. I'm going to go ahead and give a quick ranking, just headcanon, who okay. I think. So okay. it's going to be Edward, yeah. Rosalie, Carlisle. Okay. Just just sheer amount of time to get good at anything. Right, right. Uh, then Esme, Jasper, then way, just a big gap Emmett. Where's Alice in that? Oh, fuck. Uh, Alice is after Esme. Okay. Then Jasper. Then... I think I would agree with you, except I would switch Carlisle and Esme. I think Esme seems right. more likely. That to... was my first thought. I only switched it in just because of the sheer, like, yeah. Carlisle was around when the piano was, like, invented. Right. It's only, so that's the, <laughs> you that's learned a... how to play the pianoforte. Yes. <laughs> Will Forte. Uh, that's the only reason I, but I think level of like, that's why Alice could be really good at piano or whatever, but I just don't think she cares for playing instruments as much. Yeah. Uh, especially like a piano. Yeah, I see that. Uh, she'd be a percussionist. I just think of like how Esme just really dotes on Edward and loves it when he's playing music Mm. and shit like that. She might be right up there. Yeah. You know, you kind of flip me. Yeah. Cause she probably collaborates with them quite a bit. Yeah. You know, switching it. I'm convinced. All right. A- anyways, <laughs> something maybe more important. Uh, confirmed that vampires can't cry. I don't know if that was confirmed before, um, but at least when I remember it. Seminal fluid still up for debate. Mm? Still no closure on that for me personally. <laughs> Mike and Jessica got back together, which is fine, I guess. Whatever. I really don't care. I don't care either. <laughs> but I put it in there. Uh, also, Angela and Ben are going to get married next, just based on uh, bouquet tradition. Right. Uh, I think it's required. Depends on the state. <laughs> we learn that Jake is getting taller still because life isn't fair and gravity hates me. Right. <laughs> I believe it's been mentioned before, but vampires' consistent temperament means that strong emotional events tend to change them dramatically. So physical intimacy between two vampires, even between two vampires, let alone a vampire and a human, uh, is not treated lightly. But Edward does state that for him, it's not going to change much because he's already been changed by yeah. being in love with Bella. So, like, the physical part is just kind of a... a Formality you know, yeah. at this point. And isn't that how you, everyone should view sex? It's a formality. <laughs> uh, Jasper and Emmett tell tell Edward that sex is great pleasure for vampires, second only to drinking blood. And to that I say, Buqueron nos dos. So it's not, not like... Um, Combine them. 
it, it's um bring a bring a deer into the bedroom their frenzy is too intense so that wouldn't make it possible it's not like in other vampire stories where yeah. that's part of the love making is drinking blood yeah which 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 stories are you thinking of um, say, it, say, it, say it say it a discovery of witches no true blood take oh, a shot true blood but yeah also that one <laughs> so what's to come predictions uh just a couple um Definitely, they're going to have sex again while Bella's still human. Right. And I think that will be the time. I think it'll be, it'll go better and it'll be what, uh, where the baby is conceived. Interesting. So I think Bella will get pregnant while human, but turn into a vampire because they don't know she's pregnant. I don't know why I'm doing this motion while I'm talking right now. Okay. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. This is how I know. Um, but, and then that will be the, how the hybrid baby will happen she'll get pregnant as a human because vampires can't get pregnant but then she'll turn into a vampire it's gonna fuck the whole thing up no one's okay. even no one's no one's gonna know what's gonna happen interesting which would confirm vampire semen all right well we're gonna have to wait and we're see we're gonna have to wait and that see turns out uh, uh my one other prediction is that the book one will end just as Bella's about to turn into a vampire but she will not turn in this book it'll be in Whenever we get back to her after the next book, which I assume is a different POV. Gotcha. But if, if not, if it is still Bella's POV, then the next section, it'll happen. Okay, I see. Well, now that we know what happened, let's take a little deeper and take a trip down the road to pretension. Vroom, vroom. And that's right. It's time to take a turn down the road to pretension as we take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to this week's chapters. However, this week, as it seems to be increasingly happening, we're not talking about a book. So get over it. <laughs> we'll actually be taking a look at a movie. Oh, ho, ho. but not just any movie, you fuckers. Today, we'll be deciding for calling you fuckers, relatives who listen to this. Uh... But not just any movie. Today we'll be discussing my favorite movie, the 2016 musical coming-of-age film, Sing Street. Woo! I'm I love this. I I'm love excited. this movie so much. It's such a good movie. Y'all, everybody watch it. Everybody it's watch so it. But for those of you who haven't seen it, which is probably everyone listening who I haven't personally sat down and forced to watch it, uh, Sing Street follows the story of Cosmo, an Irish teenager in the 80s who forms a band with the sole intention of impressing a girl he likes. As the two fall in love, he finds identity and hope in his musical writing. And it's just it's just a lovely little film and with beautiful songs. And I just strong, strongly urge everyone to to uh, check it out. Sing Street, you can, you know, probably, I don't think it's on Netflix or anything, but you can definitely rent it for like three bucks. It's, it's great. It's so good. It's so, such a great original music. It's just Original amazing. music, really fun. Um, also, I don't know how I didn't hear about this happening, but it got turned into a Broadway musical. No shit. Yeah, it, it, it's on hiatus because of COVID, but apparently it's getting decent reviews. Um, I listened to the cast recording and it's fine. Okay, well, the movie's I, great, and it's I, magical. Yeah, there's no way I'd like it that much, though, just because the movie, especially the music, the original soundtrack, is, like, just... I, it's one of my favorite albums of all. It's, yeah. like, a top ten album for me, just yeah. the soundtrack to this movie. It's so it's good. good. But that being said, my analysis is going to be primarily based on the film's conclusion. So it's not the kind of movie that you... It has, like, big spoilers. It's not, like, big twist reviews, but I will be giving away the ending. So uh, skip ahead to when Jess is talking... Just uh, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, then go watch the movie and come back and listen to this. <laughs> so after a triumphant performance with his band at the school dance, Cosmo decides that he's going to leave Dublin to try to make it as a musician in London. He convinces his brother to take him and his girlfriend, Rafina, to the dock where his grandfather's fishing boat is kept. 
There, the two set off for England in the midst of a raging storm. The small boat emerges from the rain, and through the clear skies, they can just make out England on the horizon. The movie ends with a final shot of the young lovers smiling and hopeful, looking forward together. Though what the rest of their lives will hold is left for us to imagine. Mm-hmm. Now, the obvious parallel here, the image that made me think of this movie, is Bella and Edward on the boat steering towards the Isle Esme. But oh, yeah. The Bella and Unknown Destination. Or these are somewhat different situations. We follow Bella and Edward long after they reach the island, while in Sing Street, the ending is left intentionally vague. However, both of these scenes use similar imagery to evoke a similar response from their respective audiences. The ocean has long been used to represent opportunity and wonder, but also mystery and danger. Before space travel, setting out to sail the open seas was the pinnacle of adventure and... That theme is explored in countless texts from Robinson Crusoe and Moby Dick to Jaws and the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Mm. The universality of this theme means that just by placing characters in an open ocean, especially on a precariously small vessel, Mm -hmm. you can convey quite a bit of information to your audience without having to explicitly state anything. Even if you aren't consciously aware of it, just seeing or reading about the ocean naturally evokes a specific response in your brain. So it can be a very useful tool. Yeah, for me, it evokes fear. Me too. Uh, I love the ocean. I find it very fascinating. I also find it very unnerving. Yes. (laughs) I can't breathe in there. I don't like that. (laughs) Sing Street is a story about love and music and how those two things share the same strange and compelling hold on our adolescence. The movie highlights the scene by placing the main characters in the open ocean just as they are about to reach the crux of their story. While having overcome the on-again, off-again troubles from earlier in the movie, the young couple are finally able to go together and sail towards the brave new world that lies just beyond the horizon. And these two nobodies from nowhere with big dreams and nothing to lose are perfectly captured in the image of a single, infinitely small boat braving against an infinitely vast sea. Mm. You can feel the physical stakes matching the emotional stakes. Right. I love that. Exactly. And it's going to come back. (laughs) Bella and Edward's journey to the island continues the theme of Bella moving away from her human life. The wedding was just as much a goodbye to Bella's human friends and family as it was a celebration of her and Edward's love. With the wedding over, the only thing left before Bella's transformation is the honeymoon, Mm -mm. which is symbolized by the isolated island they stay on. So we see Meyer Meyer accentuate Bella's transition to a new life by having her physically leave her home. And the final step of the journey is made even more metaphorically resonant. Bella leaves the populated, vibrant Rio de Janeiro. Sorry if that's offensive. uh, For a secluded island, reminding us of Bella's choice of leaving the breath of humanity for an isolated existence of vampires. From a mainland continent, Bella is led to the open ocean by Edward, ignorant of her destination when they do finally return to land it's on a small island just big enough for the two of them to stay it is there on a speck of land amongst an endless sea that bella fulfills her last requirement before her transformation so we see meyer matching once again the surrounding environment to what bella is going through By doing this, she's able to elevate the emotional stakes of the situation for the reader so that they can, in turn, feel it as intensely as the characters do. Yeah. You got to make it grand to get in their head. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean, Mm -hmm. man? Yeah. This is at a Hotel 6. Wouldn't be that interesting, now, would it? No. 
<laughs> but that's literature for you. That's the literature. See, when so when your teacher in English class says, like, the curtains being blue means it's sad, and you think that's dumb, it, it, does, it does add to the... Th- just thinking of blue brings you in there, and mm-hmm. it adds to the world. It's, it's important. Sorry. I don't know why I'm getting <laughs> mad at the idiots in my pre-AP English class from eight years ago. <laughs> So the central theme of book one so far has been the severing of Bella's ties to humanity. With all the prerequisites fulfilled in just two chapters to go, we may be seeing the last of a human Bella Swan. Or colon. Bella Cullen. Bella Cullen. But yeah, that's 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 it. That's my road to pretension. I like that. Thank and you. I love seeing Street Guys. Please it's watch so, it. It's truly so good. It's a cute little It's a feel good movie. It's a it's it is our go to feel good movie. Yeah. It's literally because it's just great. It's just a nice little cute film. Go watch it. Um, but that's enough for me. Enough about the ocean. Unless you talk about the ocean, babe. But anyways, <laughs> let's let's pull over. Our tire may be a bit flat. A bit heavy with pretentiousness. We might have popped a tire. Let's pull over and look at the lug nuts of things we want to know. All right. Well, since we got to formally meet these vampires, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Denali clan, uh, more specifically Tanya and like how they got started. Yeah. So um, the story begins with a vampire named Sasha. Now, I don't know too much about her, but we do know that she was Tanya, Irina and Kate's creator. So she created Tanya first sometime in 11th century Slovakia. Oh, wait, so she does have a name. She does have and a name. And we just know. It. Oh, and okay. It's Sasha. Oh, thank God. And the and the babe's name is Vasily, I think. Oh. Vasily? The Italian? Um, V-A-S-I-L-I-I. Sounds like Vasily. But we don't know much about Sasha, like at all. Just that she was their creator. But mm-hmm. um, so uh, 11th century Slovakia is when Tanya was created. And Tanya was actually Sasha's biological great niece. And Sasha chose her when she decided that she wanted a companion in her vampire life. Um, Sasha enjoyed the company so much that she then transformed two other girls shortly thereafter. Tanya, being the firstborn, was also the closest to Sasha. So she was quite shocked, to say the least, to learn that their mother had created an immortal child. And the loss of her mother was a very heavy blow, as it was for the other two sisters. So this is the story that we already know, right? Sasha created an immortal child. Uh, The Volturi got involved. But the girls were innocent because the mother never told them anything. Mother died along with the child. So the sisters, they tried to fill that hole in their, you know, soul. um, Like any other people would do. Um, with sex. Oh, good for that. So, with both human men and vampire men, but oh. mostly human men. Oh, no. At first, these what? men would serve as dinner after the sex. Mm. And this behavior actually led to a human legend being created about them. Um, the succubus Ooh. is based off of them. Ooh. And uh, the succubus is a beautiful demon who first seduces their prey, then drains the life force from them. You know what? Deal. <laughs> I'm in. But Tanya was the first one to begin feeling remorse for those deaths. After all, they did enjoy, you know, the men's company. They began trying to pursue relationships with the men, but they would always inevitably fuck up and kill them. I mean, it it happens. 
that immense guilt built up in them, which led to them cutting contact with all human men except when eating. Hell yeah, girl. But Hashtag feminism. It was a very lonely life to live. And Tanya had the idea to try and train herself to resist human blood altogether. And she ended up having a very similar experience as Carlisle had, uh, where the human, the animal's blood started smelling fucking better than nothing. Um, and so she found out they could be sustained with animal blood, which in turn made it easier for them to be around humans and they didn't have to keep killing their men. So they can have, you know, one night stands. Hell yeah. Good for them. Yeah. Um, and then it was about a century later that Carmen and Eliezer joined the Denali sisters. But the rest of the story is going to have to wait until another time. Ooh, can't wait. But that's just kind of the the sisters and kind yeah. of what their vibes are. Oh, these sisters getting it on. I know. No it's all about sex. Also, Carmen and Eliezer sound like... like like knockoff versions of Carlisle and Esme. Oh, they sound like brand store I brand did not name. even think about that, but you're so right. <laughs> Damn, it's like, it's like we have Carlisle and Esme at home, and you go home and you have Carmen and Eliezer. I think I Carmen and Eliezer sound more exciting. I don't know. I like Carlisle. Carlisle is good, but also I'm too attached to Carlisle. You are as a character, to so nah. whatever. But that's, well, that's it for me. That's it. That's it for us. Like, what? as a couple, we're done. No. No. But next chapter, we're going to be doing, what, six, seven, and eight? Well, next episode, we'll be doing six <laughs> and seven, because I believe there's only two left in the book. All right. So we're going to do two chapters next week, yep. and we'll see y'all then. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Facebook. Instagram, and our website, website. twilightpod.com. If you have a question or just want to say hi, hi, you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. And our intro song is by my friend Alex Chavez. You can check out more of his music on his Facebook page, Vintage Attire Music. And if you look deep enough in the videos, you may see a little white boy drummer. Who could that be? Could it be a host of this podcast? Yes, it's me, Spencer. I'm in some of those videos, so look at me. And <laughs> <laughs> always remember, the ocean is a lot of things, but it's mostly a metaphor. Also, don't suck. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That was a good joke. Thank you. Uh, that's, that's how I feel. Hey, you want to know what my real favorite quote is? Yeah. It's real eyes. Real, real eyes. Real eyes. The, the beautiful uh, I, the album by, uh, uh, fuck, what's it called? Uh, what's the band name? Machine Head. Oh. <laughs> Pretentious ass band. Use that as their album name. No. Yes, it's that's a that's the first time I heard that I quote. I fucking hate that. It's terrible. Scratch that joke. No. <laughs>